Hello and welcome to a VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be updating you on the current treatment landscape of Hodgkin lymphoma, as well as emerging concepts in this field. First up, Sven Borschmann of the University Hospital Cologne talks on response biomarkers in Hodgkin lymphoma, highlighting the potential of circulating tumor DNA and protein-based biomarkers in measuring response to therapies. I was not only giving a talk at this meeting, actually, so I was also a co-organizer. And what we tried to do there, maybe I can start with that a bit, is that we tried to have two educational sessions to substitute for the um, lack of um, initial symposium, which we couldn't have because of the COVID pandemic. And we had a first day um, where we talked basically about the state of the art and what current standards of care are in Hodgkin lymphoma. And then we had a second day where we um, tried to really kind of see what's happening in translational topics in Hodgkin lymphoma and what's kind of coming out of the labs, what we can use to maybe improve um, care in the future. And in my talk during the second part of this educational, um, I really tried to look at biomarkers. At the moment, um, when we try to do response assessment in Hodgkin lymphoma, we use PET scanning, so a nuclear medicine technique. And um, this works pretty well, but we have also learned um, through many trials in the past that it doesn't work as well as we thought in the beginning when this emerged. And um, we're still looking for um, better tools to assess response because um, the majority of patients with Hodgkin lymphoma are cured these days. And um, one of our research goals is really to identify those patients that are cured maybe very, very early during treatment or with very with much less intense treatment than in the past. And then we can um, kind of spare these patients the late side effects, which are a major burden for these patients, even if they are cured. So what I was looking at is looking at alternative biomarkers that we can use in addition to PET. This can be circulating tumor DNA. This can be protein-based biomarkers like TARC, for example. And I was trying to give an overview of where we're standing with each of those biomarkers and what we might expect um, in the future from these biomarkers when they come into clinical trials and are really evaluated whether um, we can use them in patient care. Secondly, Paul Jan Brockelman, also from the University Hospital Cologne, discusses innovative first-line therapies currently being evaluated in patients with Hodgkin lymphoma. My talk on innovative first-line Hodgkin lymphoma treatments during the recent update on Hodgkin lymphoma conducted by the International ISHL uh, Committee um, basically touched on several very recent and very important developments in the field of Hodgkin lymphoma. We have the situation that we have very effective first-line treatments which are able to cure a substantial proportion of the patients. However, there are persisting unmet needs, for example, in the older patients, um, in patients who present with high-risk disease and are prone to develop refractory disease. And also in some patients, we have to really careful balance the intensity of first-line treatment and um, uh, the chances of cure uh, against the risk to develop uh, treatment-related morbidity and late toxicities. So there are still several unmet needs in Hodgkin lymphoma, and um, we have made some progress towards this by tailoring the intensity of treatment uh, to the individual risk, for example, by PET stratified treatments. But we are still not there for the older patients and for some high-risk patients, as I said. And in my talk, I 
summarized recent uh, or, or currently ongoing and planned trials, which will try to address this. And I think in the setting of limited stage lymphoma, what we as a group, as the German Hodgkin study group try, try to do is to leverage the potential of NTPD1 antibodies and develop individualized immunotherapy approaches. And we will look at that within the upcoming phase two indie trial, which will um, basically uh, give tislilizumab, an NTPD1 antibody to all patients, and then um, stratify further treatment based on the initial response. And in patients who excellently respond to the initial NTPD1 treatment, um, they will only receive the antibody and no chemo and radiotherapy, while other patients uh, who remain PET positive will receive a combination of an NTPD1 antibody and radiotherapy in the end. So with that, we hope to um, somewhat mitigate um, potential short and long-term toxicities and really tailor the individual ter therapy to the um, intensity needed. And for patients with advanced stage disease, the currently ongoing um, uh, GHSG HT21 trial recently finished recruitment. And um, in this trial, we looked at um, a reduction of the systemic treatment um, with the Brentoxima vedotin uh, based Biocop escalated variant, which was compared to the standard of care. And um, we are very happy that this trial accrued so fast and are already looking forward to the results. Briefly, uh, towards the older patient, I think um, we have learned from several previous studies that sequential approaches, starting with a targeted agent, for example, and then tailoring the um, consecutive treatment to response and fitness of the patients are rather promising and successful. And this is something we also want to look into in the um, setting of um, the indie trial, where we have a cohort of older patients as well uh, who will undergo these individualized immunotherapy. Um, but for older patients, um, rapid accrual of the trial goals is always a challenge. And I think this is an unmet need, um, which could be addressed by collaborative efforts, um, ideally conducted um, in an international setting. Finally, Alison Moskowitz of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre outlines the latest thinking in relapse refractory classic Hodgkin lymphoma. My talk primarily talked about uh, the second line therapy for Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, in general, a patient who has relapse or refractory disease following frontline therapy, we, we do have a very good chance of still uh, allow, uh, bringing that patient to a cure. Um, and the uh, general approach to treatment is to give some kind of second-line therapy and followed by consolidation with an autologous stem cell transplant. Uh, and based upon data that's fairly old at this point from studies uh, from the 1990s and then 2002, uh, the uh, use of an autologous stem cell transplant is considered standard of care as it was associated with improvement in progression-free survival. Um, and so that's that's what we're using in our current practice. Um, with regard to what to use to get the patients to a transplant with regard to the second-line therapy, there's, there's no one standard and there's a lot of different options. Um, and there's traditional chemotherapy options, which um, that we've been using for many years, such as ICE or DHAP or gemcitabine-based therapy. And then there's newer options um, that have incorporated some of the newer drugs that are used in Hodgkin lymphoma. And that includes regimens that include brentuximab, either given sequentially with chemotherapy or combined with chemotherapy, as well as now uh, the use of checkpoint inhibitors in this setting. Um, and so one of the studies that I highlighted in the talk uh, was a study evaluating brentuximab plus nivolumab 
which uh, when given in the second line setting was associated with a complete response rate of 67%. And uh, with patients, patients who went on to transplant um, directly after brentuximab plus nivolumab had a one year or actually a two year progression free survival of about 91%. So the, the response with this regimen looks quite durable. Uh, in addition, even for patients who received an additional salvage before going on to transplant after brentuximab and nivolumab, uh, the, the progression-free survival in that study was about was 79% to two years. So uh, the data looks quite favorable with that regimen. And the nice thing about that regimen is that it's given in the outpatient setting and, it, and it's well-tolerated, uh, particularly in comparison to some of our traditional combination chemotherapy regimens. What I also highlighted was a, a new regimen that we've been studying at Sloan Kettering, which is a combination of pemerlizumab in combination with gemcitabine, vinaralbine, and doxal. Um, and so this was a study that we also evaluated as second-line therapy. And the reason for evaluating this combination was to uh, develop a regimen that is also administered in the outpatient setting that is hopefully well tolerated, um, but also because of the fact that more and more patients are getting brentuximab as part of their frontline treatment, there's the need for second-line regimens that don't include brentuximab um, since um, we often don't want to repeat that drug if, if the patients just relapse following regimen that included it. That was part of the rationale for choosing the drugs in this regimen. And at this point, uh, the the uh, the, fee, the the study has been completed. There were 39 patients that were enrolled in the study, and we've been very encouraged by the results. The, the complete response rate to this combination was actually as high as 95%, um, and virtually every patient has gone on to transplant, um, aside for two patients who ended up refusing transplant. Um, and at this point, with limited follow-up, uh, we haven't had any patients have developed relapsed disease. Um, so we're very excited about um, the potential for this regimen. It certainly um, was uh, a bit higher in efficacy than we were expecting. Um, and I think that there's the potential for this to be a, a, a regimen that we commonly use in the second line setting. I did talk about um, as far as after transplant, um, some of the, what do we do for a patient who has relapse or refractory disease after transplant? Um, and, you know, traditionally in the past, the, the options were quite limited, um, but now um, we do have the options of potentially repeating treatment with brentuximab for a patient who has who who either responded well to in the past or potentially enrolling on a clinical trial with with novel combinations either with brentuximab or with PD one blockade. Um, and one um, interesting combination that um, is being evaluated in the setting of clinical trials is is the combination of PD one blockade with epigenetic modification, which looks like a potentially a promising uh, combination that uh, I'm excited to see more data about. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us today. Visit vjhemonk.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as exclusive lymphoma coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.